0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clothesline and our special edition, our first edition of Clothesline Retro in English. Who would have fought? Because we wanted to approach our English-speaking audience. I'm Orn Traitman, and this is my friend Gordon. Howdy, folks. And here, we are, we are here at On Wrestling, are uh, doing our own reviews on various programmings, on various uh, organizations, AEW, WWE, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and all that. And we decided to take a look back at the older years, the yes the years of uh, professional wrestling, and to tell you that from our experience as Israeli fans living in Israel, of how we were exposed to WWF, and how we began to even watch WWF here in Israel. So before we start our first review, let me just tell you about a little bit about ourselves. Uh, I'm Oren. I'm, I'm about 36 years old. I'm about to be 37. And I've started watching wrestling in Israel since I was four. We had a channel called Middle East Television, and there I watched Devon Eriks wrestle all the time, who I'm guessing WCCW. I'm not really sure Dude. what organization it was. And then in 1992, Sky Sports started airing in, airing in Israel and we started to watch the World Wrestling Federation. Um, that is pretty much my experience of how I got exposed to the whole business. Gordon, how did you learn about WWF?
1: First of all, you've described it beautifully, this, this, this entire, uh, entire run of, um, of uh, how wrestling got to Israel. First of all, uh, we, should, we should point out that This is kind of a brand new concept of the two Israelis talking about wrestling back in the day. Now, keep in mind, bear in mind, English isn't our native language. And for for this purpose alone, I have brought this (laughs) Hebrew-English hotel, hotel, I'm sorry. (laughs) Dictionary. Dictionary. It's a dictionary, I'm sorry, I apologize. And... The uh, investment should show, this is a brand new um, vintage dictionary, Um, just in case we shall lack a certain word. Now, my approach to wrestling was different. It came only in about, uh, shall we say, late 1993, I was uh, towards my bar mitzvah. then. I was 13 then. I am about to become 39 uh, this late November. And yeah, what you saw in wrestling was this, this mix of, uh, of color, shall we say competition, sort of competition, and this, uh, and, and, and promos, and you've had all this all this combined, when we started with the, uh, there was Sky Sports and and briefly Japan, and we have decided to um, take this backwards into the days uh, in which you've um, you've saw perhaps the second mania of wrestling in Israel, with uh, the first being at the uh, mid eighties, as Oren mentioned. WCCW. Now, the uh, Second Mania in Israel uh, came about at, uh, reached its peak, I'd say, in uh, 1994. There was some of it left back in 1995, but it just died in 1996, and the shows were off the air. Now, we've had a, 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 a major problems with it causing violence in schools when, with, with children, Slamming uh, each other against the, the the chairs and the tables, and the whole educational system had a major problem. Therefore, we had to uh, we had to bring um, hosts of the, of the, of the children's TV shows to
0: say, "No, kids, this is forbidden. Don't do this at home." And it was absurd. <laughs> I mean. It was absurd. I mean, come on, an 11-year-old kid can't throw another 11-year-old kid off a, f- a five-story building. I mean, come on. <laughs> we weren't we, violent.
1: That's right. And Israel isn't exactly a, uh, a peaceful country. <laughs> I mean, towards, towards each other, we do not use the, um, the subtle approach, So we say not too many people here converse and say let's talk about your own no they just bash each other
0: up. (laughs) that's it but overall we're still civilized and we still are very much very very much wrestling fans so when we started this project the clothesline wrestling channel we wanted to do our own variation of how we review wrestling and even talk about the good old days um, and like I said, when Israel started watching WWF, it started in the mid-90s. And the first event that aired on Israeli television for WWF was WrestleMania 9. Well, but we figured, hey, we're going to start this thing right. We wanted to talk about the entire year of 1993. So we were able to uh, <laughs> to procure a video cassette of Royal Rumble 1993 <laughs> beforehand. We watched it. And this is our review of Royal Rumble 1993. And it came from from, uh, Sacramento, California. And our broadcasting team is probably one of the best broadcasting team of all time. Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby DeBrain Heenan. I swear, I love these guys. And it's a shame that they didn't do any more pay-per-views afterwards.
1: Monsoon and Heenan, shall we say briefly, they had uh, what you call it. They had this this magic, this chemistry, which you others had. And and it showed, and uh, you can see these people. I mean, character-wise, couldn't stand each other. Backstage, uh, to the best of my information, best of friends. But um, to in order to uh, pass along this this quality of commentary, you had to rely on this um, dynamic duo in. Um, in lack of a, of a better definition. But yeah, that is what you saw.
0: Exactly. You saw a great broadcasting team. You, you could hear in their every word and every emphasis about how the way the way they describe the matches, the way they feel so em- emphasized. I'll still remember to this day, Royal Rumble 92, Bobby Heenan, It's Not Fair to Flair, the greatest rant maybe in all of broadcasting. I swear to god, that, that thing was just magic to my ears. And, Speaking about Royal Rumble 93, this was the first time since the, uh, the event's inception that the winner of the Royal Rumble will receive a title shot at the World Wrestling Federation champion at WrestleMania. Here's my question. You had this event since 1988. This is like your sixth edition. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with this stipulation only now? I wonder just the same. I mean, come. On, I mean, it, it just looks obvious. You had this gigantic event like the royal rumble 30 superstars it started with 20 then it moved on to 30 superstars Mm -hmm. and vying for what before this vying for what just to win the match look let's just
1: um think about former winners cashing in at wrestlemania that means a hexaw duggan winning the first one probably facing i don't know um Back then, you have had the champion Duggan versus Hogan, no, I don't think Maybe so. Maybe
0: Andre, you know, because of the whole debacle.
1: Let's think about the guys coming into the Rumble as champions. Um, Big John Stud facing Randy Savage, <laughs> no. And of course, 1990, Hogan facing himself.
0: But 91 made sense. 91 made sense because he won the Rumble, and Sergeant Slaughter won the championship at the Rumble, so they faced each other. And 92, of course, the title was on the line at the Rumble event, so then then we come here, 1993. Yes, indeed. So,
1: also, I think uh, you viewers should should know about this. Myself, I can't be considered a current fan. I'm sort of a former fan and what you call... um, (laughs) Nostalgic, the, the resident grandpa of uh, of uh, the uh, the Israeli audience. Whenever they've got something old enough, they uh, they come, everyone come forwards and and just state how about reviewing so and so. And when I can assist, I do just that. So there will be some older references in in, in this uh, in this review. So just just so you'll uh, you'll see this as too much of a surprise
0: and we'll gladly hear it so with that let's start things off the first matchup on the card for the royal rumble 1993 was a tag team match between the beverly brothers and the steiner brothers um gordon your thoughts about the match
1: steiner brothers as much as above decent wrestlers which they were seemed very much to be out of place in the IWS. I see it as sort of a collision between, you know, uh, quality wrestling and um, and cartoon wrestling. Because, first of all, this match, um, is, is there, there's something of a pattern here, which we'll keep on seeing through this evening, in my opinion, at the very least. Um, it is somewhat of a sleeper match and not in the good sense. Because it has tag team wrestling, it has a uh, uh, decent wrestling. Yet, I didn't feel like too much of the crowd were into it. Perhaps at the beginning more so, but during, uh, during the middle, it was, it was kind of, um, dormant shall we say that's what my feeling was
0: well the way I look at it is like this first of all I slightly disagree because I do think the Steiners were over with the crowd. Um, funny thing about the matchup the Steiners come in rushing in they scared off Howard Fingel and then we go into the match. And from the looks of it someone forgot to tell the Steiners that they're not this is not a one-sided affair. <laughs> that the Beverly Brothers should get a little bit of offense because the Steiners are demolishing the Beverly Brothers. And then it comes to a point where the, the Beverly has to do something very um, a very oh. radical to change the tide of the match. Like the Steiners, maybe they, didn't, they, they just didn't care or they just simply forgot, oh, yeah, we're supposed to give them like a, an offense maneuver or something. And then uh, after that... The match ended with, uh, of course, uh, Scott Steiner performing the Frankensteiner. An amazing move by Scott himself to this day. I think he's one of the the only few big men that can actually perform that move with a guy his size, uh, maybe even an innovator of the move, if I'm guessing. Uh, And also, two things that really bother me. Number one, if you see this event on the network, they cut off the Beverly Brothers music and put something generic in there. Why? stop doing that <laughs> who owns, Overly, owns, the Beverly's had such a good
1: interest theme. Yeah. why would you I don't know can't you just pay royalties for, for this entire thing and get over with <laughs> who owns the rights to the Beverly Brothers music I mean come on Let, I don't know Lonnie Poffo I have no idea perhaps the genius yeah. or 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 or, uh, or what's his name uh, John Tullos coach
0: Maybe. And speaking of Lenny Popo the genius, the manager of the Beverly Brothers, where is he? He's gone. He's he's not even here in this matchup. Did he leave the company? Nope. I have no idea. Frankly, I really have no no idea at all. That that was just that was just bizarre. Anyway, um, a pretty decent opener. Very very weird uh, dynamic because the Steiners thought this was a one sided affair. They didn't give the Beverly Brothers any chance. They worked really, really stiff with the Beverly Brothers. by the way. They almost killed them. And, yeah, the signers won the Frankensteiner, and that was the first matchup of the night, the first opener. After that, we move straight along to the second matchup. Intercontinental title on the line, champion Shawn Michaels facing Marty Jannetty. And these two have had a very wild, wild history and uh, rivalry between them. It all started about a year ago when the Rockers, they were a team known as the Rockers, and they had a falling out when Michaels threw Marty Giannini into a window in a set of the barbershop. That was an interview segment with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And then only a year after, Marty made his triumphant return to WWF. They picked off exactly where they left off. And Marty, while he he was trying to attack Michaels with a mirror, you know, retaliation, he hit his manager Sherry instead by accident because Michaels pulled her in the way of the mirror. And then the whole uh, dilemma towards this matchup was, in which corner would Sherry be? Because, you know, she was Shawn Michaels' manager, but he never called her while she was in the hospital. He never cared. He never sent her any flowers. So, you know, was, when a guy treats you like that, ladies, I mean, come on, you're going to give him a another chance? I don't think so. But still, the question before, and I'd like to, if you know the answer, I would like to know that. There's a year gap between the rivalry when it began and when it came uh, to this moment. Why a year? Where was Gennetti? Frank,
1: I have no earthly idea, but it is Marty Genetti we're speaking about. It, it, it could be, I don't know, well, you've probably heard about his, uh, uh, shall we say, current affairs. So anything can happen with, with, with uh, Marty Genetti. from, I don't know, from suspicion of murdering people through a storyline, <laughs> to only God knows what but l- let's let's just um, focus at the match itself let's put the focus the spotlight on the match itself
0: I give you the he- I'll give it all I'll give you the heads up what do you think about the match
1: These two had better matches they are capable of so much more now to the best of my recollection the rumor has it that just it was just Gennetti doing his stuff literally backstage and showing up shall we say intoxicated to the match which um, well you saw the results they will have such a better match uh later on this year at raw where Gennady wins the title after Michaels oversells a towel shot like a cannonball <laughs> for but uh, bottom line, it was just such a better match. They, they could have stoned the show. They could have. The bottom line is they could have. It didn't
0: happen. <laughs> Speaking about the match itself, I thought, I thought the match was OK. I did not know or maybe I didn't even remember that Marty Janney was supposedly intoxicated throughout the matchup because it didn't show. Uh, throughout the matchup, Michaels works on Marty's shoulder. Uh, it comes to the point where the referees get knocked out, and uh, knocked out. Sorry, and then Sherry Martel enters the ring. No, sorry. Michael steps to the outside. He tries to talk to Sherry, and she slaps him across the face. He comes back into the ring. Marty grabs Michael, tells Sherry, "Hey, come on, hit him, hit him again." She takes off her shoe, and when she tries to hit Michael, Michael ducks, and she hits Jannetty instead. From there, Michaels performs a super kick that pretty much turned Marty Jannetty upside down. <laughs> And he pins him for the victory. Michaels retains the championship. Afterwards, Sherry runs backstage. Mean Jean tries to talk to her, and she's all hysterical. And then I don't know if it was planned or maybe they just lost—they uh, lost in touch for about a moment. But then Mean Jean just screams at her, "Sherry, calm down! You're hysterical!" And I have no idea if that thing was scripted or not, but it was just gold on—it was just gold on the mic. And from there, Michaels, they they confronts her. She yells at him, you said you loved me. And then Marty and Michaels keep at it, fighting backstage. Uh, Good ending to this match. And that that scene backstage with me and Gene, priceless. Simply priceless.
1: Well, I'm glad you liked it. I'm not a fan of Okerlund myself. I think he can be um, a, shall we say, a decent uh, interviewer, but if... um, once he goes overboard with the mother in law jokes, I'm sorry that that just dates it to, to no avail.
0: Yeah, I, I'll, I'll you want, give you that if, one.
1: Oh, if you want to see Oakland in his worst, go to YouTube, search for Oakland's, um, shall we say, discussion on Battle Bowl 1993 of WCW with um, who is the current uh, Mrs. Ric Flair with uh, Fifi, that would not fly by today.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I I think I'm actually going to watch that after we finish this uh, podcast. All right, moving on. The next matchup on the card was between Bam Bam Bigelow and the big boss man. First appearance in a pay-per-view for Bam Bam Bigelow, last appearance in a pay-per-view for the Big Boss Man until 1998. This is the fact afterwards he I left. I suppose you're
1: not counting uh, Bigelow's face run in the 80s. Um,
0: yeah, but was he in the Royal Rumble? Uh,
1: it's his Rumble debut. He had the, um, uh, the, the first annual Survivor Series appearance.
0: Wait, so he, was, so he was in the Rumble, the, the first one, in 98? So, yeah, nope. so this is his first Rumble pay-per-view. First All right. So, we'll let's... I'll to... correct myself. This is his first Rumble pay-per-view. He was involved in the WWF back in the 80s. He came back this time as a heel. Mm-hmm. And Big Boss Man, this is his last pay-per-view in the company. He would leave until 1998. He would go on to WCW, stealing his own gimmick, and <laughs> tried to pass as the boss in WCW. Uh, but yeah, but this matchup pretty much was okay. Nothing, nothing bad to say about it. It was just okay. My
1: friend, you are being overly generous by saying this one's okay. All I remember, all I can remember from this match is one long reverse chillock. This in in comparison to what I'm aware of, of, of these two wrestlers, they can do so much better that th- that was dreadful now bigelow st- can still move sure he is not the um you know the uh, cartwheeling babyface he was back in the 80s but he could still uh, pull off a good match now boss man i don't know who instructed this tandem to uh, to work the way they did because it is very slow paced and to me very very crowd killing and i think um ray trailer was still capable of of working beyond this this skill and not becoming already in 1993 the 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 bland wrestler he was when he returned in 1998.
0: i completely agree Uh, i thought the match was just okay i thought it could be a whole lot better um mean, in the end, Bam Bam Bigelow wins with the flying headbutt off the top rope, and thus sending Big Boss Man to the fairy lands of WCW and to a gimmick similar to the Big Boss Man as the boss, soon to be the Guardian yeah, Angel and the, uh, like.
1: Guardian Angel, Big Bubba Rogers, etc.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then he finally settled on his real name, Ray Trailer.
1: Yeah, and even as Ray Trailer, I preferred him as the Big Boss Man in 1998. <laughs> he was in the 2002 Rumble. Does people remember that?
0: Like barely, was it? it was, was the like, first guy eliminated. So that's why I remember that.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's like.
0: Unfortunately, move also on. passed away. Uh, unfortunately, he also passed away, I think, September 2002. I'm not sure about the date, but I'm pretty sure that 2002? he'll be. I think it was 2004. I'm not sure, though. Could be 2004. If I'm mistaken, my apologies. Oh. But he still passed away nonetheless. Um, moving on, moving on to the semi main event, the world championship matchup. Brett the Hitman Hart defends the WWF championship against Razor Ramon. Um, first of all, how this match came about, Razor just was announced as a number one contender, he attacked as the Owen uh, Brett's brother Owen, and that's how uh, this rivalry came about pretty much.
1: Yeah, back then you didn't need much of a reason. All you had to do was to attack the brother of, uh, of the current champion and that would get you a title shot.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, if he had no siblings, you'd be in a problem.
0: Then he would go after his mother. <laughs> no. but uh, So, let's That's talk about the... If he was in Norfolk. <laughs> yeah. So, let's talk about the matchup. Um, this is... People might think this, this is Bret Hart's second title defense, but actually not. Bret Hart was a consistent defender of the championship throughout house shows and also various events. Um, and I'm talking everybody. He, he defended the title against Virgil and Papa Shango and mm-hmm. Michaels the Survivor Series, and now Razor Ramon and Ric Flair. He defended the title against anyone. And that's what makes Bret Hart a little bit different than various champions before him. Because even though they had house shows back in the day, they put an emphasis on the fact that Bret Hart defends the title against anyone and that he is a defending champion. Very, very, very different uh, approach of when you present your champion towards the audience, in my opinion.
1: That's true, that's true. I seem to remember him even defending it against one of the Beverly brothers. Yeah. He defended it against everyone. I don't know. I'm I'm quite surprised he didn't defend against
0: Finkel. (laughs) <laughs> I always remember his title defense against Virgil because right before the match started, they had this secret handshake. It was one of the coolest things I ever saw. That's why I remember that he defended the <laughs> title against Virgil. Um, let's talk about the match itself. The match itself was actually pretty good. And I think it's because of the fact that Bret Hart is a kind of wrestler that it doesn't matter who's in the, who he's, he's in the ring with, he'll make the match a whole lot better. And I think he even elevated Scott Hall's Razor Ramon's game in this matchup. If and That's just, that's just my opinion.
1: Okay, you're entitled to your opinion. What do you think? I
0: should say, um,
1: Razor was very good to me as a contender. I couldn't picture him as a champion, I've told you this before. Uh, match itself, not bad, even though I preferred their uh, King of the Ring match. I completely this agree. One, is this one is a little bit uh too much relying on the uh, technical side which uh, hall wasn't exactly known for uh he was more of a power wrestler but eventually it is verging on the uh not bad good match
0: I completely agree. The match, I believe, was a very good matchup, again, because Bret Hart elevated the whole game of uh, Razor Ramon. The ending came when uh, Bret Hart was able to uh, lock in the sharpshooter while they're both lying down, turn him over uh, shades of SummerSlam 91, and Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, uh, yells to the referee that he submits because he can't tap out in those days. You have to actually say you're submitting. Uh, And, yeah, Bret Hart retains the championship. His parents are sitting in the front row. Congratulating their son, and yeah, it's a good look for the Hitman when he comes out of this matchup as the winner, the defending champion. Like I said, Bret Hart in those days was something different, something that WWF was trying to change as a, in their approach of how do you present a WWF champion. And I think Bret Hart was just the right guy at the right time for that for that thing.
1: He was. He was uh, very very capable of uh, of working a uh, a good to great match. I think. I seem to remember it was Hall's only submission loss in the company. Yeah, I think so. I think so because they, they just they turn the face slightly afterwards. And no. faces do lose by submission less often. Yeah, no, no, that doesn't matter in which way you look at it. Um, yeah, as we said, uh, quite uh, quite a reasonable match, although
0: I completely agree. And with that, we come to the main event, the Royal Rumble 1993. And like I said, the winner of the Royal Rumble will face the WWF champion, whoever it may be, at WrestleMania 9. And here's the thing about the Royal Rumble. You add that stipulation, and then the way they promote the match, they keep on saying that four former world champions are involved in this matchup. And that makes it that makes this match more prestigious, right? To me, it sounded like if you have a blockbuster movie, and then for the sequel, you only get like one guy and one little sidekick, and that pretty much diminishes it the the worth of the movie itself.
1: No, now it's my turn to say I completely agree.
0: <laughs> I mean, when you look at the odds, I mean, it's not like last year that even though you had, last year the title was on the line, and you had you could say that you had a lot of competitors that could win the rumble like undertaker and Sid and macho man. And even Piper could have, been, have made a history if he would have won the rumble last year. Uh, this year you look at the field and it's really, really uh, narrow. I mean, what do you got? Randy Savage, Ric Flair, the undertaker. It is quite the uh, thin field.
1: Yeah. Now, Rumor had it that um, Savage was going to win it all. And I don't know how many people saw uh, uh, Ric Flair as a, as a viable um, competitor. I think people knew by then. His match versus uh, Kurt Henning on Raw was already announced. And people knew. He, he was stepping out. He accomplished his purpose. And that was it for him. But uh, then again, uh, the concept of a Royal Rumble match is personally one of my favorites, and it is—it is the only match I keep on, shall we say, tuning to every year, even though I know less and less of the of the uh, of the competitors <laughs> at the actual match. <laughs>
0: And another thing before we go, we go step right into it, uh, the competitors themselves. This Rumble is plagued with tag teams. And there are a couple of names that did not uh, take part of the Royal Rumble for various reasons. And if those names were in the Rumble, I think the Rumble would look a whole lot better. I mean, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was taken out by Yokozuna, but he was announced for the Rumble beforehand, uh, before he was taken out. Crush was announced for the Royal Rumble, but he was taken out by Doink. So that's kind of a lost-lost a, a situation. Also, you have guys like Bam Bam and the Big Boss Man. You have guys like those, and you don't put them in the Royal Rumble, but you put guys like, um, I don't know, Max Moon or one of the Nasties in there. And I'm like, why? I mean, you had good names to put there, good mid-card names to put in the Rumble. But you instead put various tag teams in there. And, I mean, just look, it makes the Rumble look weak.
1: Look, I believe that as to your um, example mentioning uh, Bigelow and Bossman, they had such a dreadful match, you wouldn't want to see them again later on tonight. It's not a memory you, you'd like to relive. Um, I somewhat agree with uh, what you said. And there are some interesting stories about some of the uh, participants we're about to see in this Rumble. Um, coming on and trying to become the winner and the uh, next challenger of WrestleMania 9, which is, um, you know, bound to be a major success <laughs> and a memorable one for all the right reasons. Um, you know, they have decided they should, uh, you know, theme this WrestleMania as the, what do we say? Uh, for old time's sake, Julius and Cleopatra and all the rest of this stuff for reasons I will never understand.
0: <laughs> uh, the thing that Gordon is talking about is before the rumble begins, we get Julius Caesar and Cleopatra announcing that the WrestleMania 9 pay-per-view will take place at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada. So someone had the amazing idea that the whole presentation of WrestleMania 9 will be like in... In Roman times, you know, with Julius Caesar and togas, the world's biggest toga party—that's what they called it—and we're going to review it on our next uh, podcast. But yeah, the but mirror... we know
1: these guys aren't the real Caesar and Cleopatra. We are well aware of this.
0: We don't know. It could be. I don't know. But but nevertheless, uh, I, what can I say? It, I was intrigued when I first saw it. But of course, I saw WrestleMania later. But before that, but I was intrigued with the announcement. But you know, it's, it gave us something, uh, something different. And I'm always, uh, I, I'm always up I'm always uh, going up for something different, as long as it's something different, good, and not something different, bad. I'm with you
1: all the way for this one.
0: <laughs> and without further ado, here's how it goes. We're gonna talk about the entire Royal Rumble. We're gonna run down the numbers. I'll talk about every elimination. If there is something uh, more to talk about uh, when talking about a certain elimination, we'll, we'll talk more more about it. Uh, so let's run down the numbers. Number one, Rick Ric Flair. Nature boy Ric Flair. Last year, he was number three, and he won the whole thing. This year, he comes in at number one. Now, you mentioned that he had... It could be just me, but it seems like last
1: year's rumble or shall we say the rumble uh, victory seemed like it was at least three years ago i don't know why it just seems so well could be just me as i said (laughs) carry on
0: well that happened just one year ago but i know i know how you feel because the whole landscape of wrestling changed throughout 92 93 you come into 93 and what do you got? You don't got Hulk Hogan. You don't got The Ultimate Warrior. You don't got a lot of people that were at the top of the landscape in, in WWF in those days. And you come into '93. It's a it's a brand new field, and it just feels different. And that's how you feel when Rick Flair this rumble and they tell you he won it last year. That was last year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. seems like last decade. <laughs> Not last last decade. <laughs> So, yeah, Ric Flair is number one. Number two is Bob Backlund. We haven't seen Bob Backlund in the WWF since 1983, I think. Since he lost the championship. It was was 1984. Briefly, we've seen him briefly, briefly
1: after the uh, Hogan victory over the Sheik for the title. And afterwards, he just went away. He was in, uh, what was the name of this federation? Pro Wrestling USA. He was in the AWA, I believe, and he, he was just, like, almost everywhere aside from the an IWF. And oddly enough, they bring him back in, like, middle of, the, of 1992. Like, here, guy, uh, here, here, people, this, this is the, the, the guy, you see this one? He was the former champion. Now, we're not going to do anything special with him, so get used to it. <laughs> well, my, well, I've, I've had problems seeing this because I'm um, I'm a major Bob Becklin fan, if not the only Bob Becklin fan in Israel. So yeah, but but this rumble is quite the example of what he was uh, able to pull off back then.
0: And the thing about Becklin, nothing bad to say about him, or again, or something, something to say against him. But it's like they took Backlund out of 1984, they cut they cut him up from 1984, and they paced him into 1993. And then just told him, be exactly the same. Don't be scared or frightened by the v- weird voodoo man you're about to face in the ring, or the, or the weird moon guy, or the clown, and just accept it. And for a guy like Backlund, I think, coming into terms with facing these gimmicks of professional wrestling, I don't think it sit well. It, I think I think it didn't even sit well that it made him lose his mind in 1994.
1: <laughs> I somewhat agree. Well, it should be pointed out that we've had four shows of WWF in Israel in late 1993, the first one, and the other three in 1994. Yep. And at then at the first show, he was on hand, defeating the, the, the man you've just mentioned, the uh, the voodoo magician Charles Wright. Yep. Uh, so- and I believe it was the same roll-up finish at, at, at every competition.
0: So, yeah, like you said, he defeated Papa Shango in a, ma- in a match that happened in Israel. Speaking of Papa Shango, he is the third man to enter the fray. And as soon as he enters, he immediately gets eliminated by Ric Flair, like in two seconds. Almost.
1: Almost as soon as he, he... Maybe grabs-
0: five. I'll, I'll give him seven seconds tops.
1: He grabs Beckland the way tries to... Yeah. Force him- and Flair, being the dirtiest player in the game that he is, sees the opportunity and just flings him over.
0: Exactly. Number four coming into the Royal Rumble is Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man who was one part of the tag team champions in that day, in that time. Uh, DiBiase also, a guy who had his own various history throughout the Royal Rumble. 1990, he was in there for almost 50 minutes. And that's it. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and he bought uh, the number 30 spot in 1989. The feeling that you get
1: once you see Beckland, Flair, and DiBiase in the same ring at the same time. This is like um, vintage territory heaven.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, you get this awesome feeling, and it is ruined immediately when Brian Knobs stumbles in.
0: Yeah, it's like you have these free, good old-fashioned great wrestlers, and then this punk kid comes in. And it's Brian Knobs of the Nasty Boys.
1: <laughs> well, he is a future WCW Hardcore Champion. I'll give him that. Yeah.
0: So yeah, Knobs comes in. He goes straight after Ted DiBiase, the Nasty Boys, and Money Incorporated, the tag team champions. Had a rivalry back then. Uh, they fight for a w- for they fight for a bit. Uh, the next guy to come in is Virgil, and he starts renewing his rivalry with Ted DiBiase. Uh, after that, uh, Brian Knobs gets eliminated by Ted DiBiase.
1: DiBiase ducks a charge and Knobs goes flying. Exactly. This DiBiase-Virgil feud went on forever. I mean, you've had like your, your, shall we say, your uh, feud settler back in SummerSlam 1991. This is Rumble 1993, guys. Get over it.
0: Really. They'll never get over it. They'll fight till the end. (laughs) Uh, afterwards we get the, uh, the first appearance of Jerry, the King Lawler. This is his first, this is WWF pay-per-view that This actually is WWF debut, I believe. And I don't know if he was in, in maybe a commentator on superstars before that, but this guy's a heel. And if you know, Jerry, the King Lawler, this guy is a major face, a major good guy in back in his uh, home turf of USWA. And he comes into the WWF as a heel so major change for him true true
1: you see he, he can even uh somewhat relate to his facial expression he is much more serious. he wouldn't be uh by now he's still not the uh the comedy king uh gimmick we're used to thank god yeah.
0: And then when you say the names of Jerry Lawler, Ric Flair, Ted DiBiase, and Bob Becklin in the ring, you can actually see Gordon salivating from the mouth. <laughs> when you see all these legends in the ring, it's awesome. No, seriously. Seeing all these guys in the ring, classic wrestlers, is just, just, just a sight to see, seriously.
1: All of these guys
0: and Virgil. <laughs> exactly. Here's a, okay, here's a funny spot that happens. I just wrote it down. Okay, Jerry Lawler comes in. Ric Flair... Uh, fights him off in the ring, and then he walks to the outside. While he's in the outside, the referee starts the count of five. The count of five means that he's going to get disqualified. How can he get disqualified in a Royal Rumble match? I don't know how,
1: but there are examples later on in decades. Uh, Let me remind you of Finlay getting disqualified in the Rumble when he used the shillelagh in order to to defend Hornswoggle
0: which also doesn't make any sense because people have used millions of weapons in a, in a Royal Rumble match. Also, mm-hmm. I'll take you even for, I'll take you even b- before that. 91, Rick Martel was in the Rumble. He goes to the outside. And the referee, I believe it was Shane McMahon as a referee, counts, right. counts five. And I'm like, why are you counting here? There's no disqualification in the Rumble. You don't need to count them.
1: Just here we are again, trying to apply logic into wrestling. We are both, we're both, heavily into wrestling we know you you
0: you're not supposed to do that and still the thing that you will learn about me throughout these podcasts and reviews is that i like and i love consistency you have to be consistent about the things you show in a storyline or in a match. For instance, if you explain the rules of the rumble before the match, like you're really going to go over the top, only two feet after the floor, and all that. If you don't tell me that if you go to the outside, you get disqualified, then it doesn't apply. It doesn't happen. Then you can't do I, that.
1: Myself, I'm quite the consistency fan as well. However, I knew. I knew myself to be consistent enough not to apply it to wrestling. Nothing good comes uh, out of it.
0: All right, afterwards we get, uh, after all these amazing legends of wrestlers, uh, legendary wrestlers, we get Max Moon. Great. Uh, we get uh, Tinru. the Japanese wrestler who will know more about the following year at the Royal Rumble as he's hired as a mercenary <laughs> against Lex Luger. Then we get Mr. Perfect, and when he enters the ring, he immediately goes after Ric Flair. They start to fight each other. Uh, then Skinner enters the ring, and from there, Flair is eliminated. Flair is eliminated by Mr. Perfect. The crowd is ecstatic. They talk about it over commentary that tomorrow night they will have their match at the Raw. And if Flair leaves, he has to leave the WWF. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That is
1: yeah. how you do the storyline, folks. That is how you do it.
0: Yeah, that's how you do a story line. You make sure that Flair – you don't make people believe Flair is going to win the Rumble if he has a match later on. You see that? That that's, okay. that's, that's, That is brilliant storytelling. <laughs> Afterwards, uh, so like I said, Flair is eliminated. Then Coco Beware enters the Royal Rumble. Skinner is eliminated by Mr. Perfect. Afterwards, we get Samu, or Samu. After that, we get the Berserker. If, somewhere between all that happening, Max Moon is eliminated uh, out of the Royal Rumble matchup. <laughs> yeah,
1: to the turnbuckle, and uh, Moon followed with some sort of, uh, I don't know what that was, it seemed <laughs> like a crescent kick.
0: Something he hit like that.
1: once, and he tried that again. And once you repeat a spot, Lawler was smart
0: enough to avoid it, and out goes Moon. Exactly, because he read the rules before the Royal Rumble, so he knows exactly what to do in that situation. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> So Max Moon's eliminated. After that, Jerry Lawler is eliminated by Mr. Perfect. And then in a, in a show, what I could just su- simply describe as an ultimate survival test, Mr. Perfect literally fights for his life as Ted DiBiase and Coco Beware and Jerry Lawler from the outside of the ring try to eliminate him. And seriously, if there was a man trying to survive in the Royal Rumble, in one of the most greatest showing of of uh, of survival fortitude in a rumble match, this is it. I have never seen anyone fight for their life as Mr. Perfect had in that specific spot.
1: You are correct, sir. It is. It, it, they just they him away using hands and and and, and, and feet and feet and everything. And, and if they had, I don't know, extra heads, they'd probably use these as well. But that is something that to my understanding you don't see in wrestling nowadays it's it's
0: lack of passion I don't know if it's a lack of passion but it's more of not understanding how that thing would affect the audience because if I if I talk about the Royal Rumble, the Royal Rumble concept if you win you get a championship match I will fight with teeth and arms and legs and whatever I got to stay in that ring. And the way Perfect tried to stay in the match is the way anyone participating in the Rumble should be if he's in that situation. If someone or or a lot of people try to eliminate me from the Rumble, I will hold on to the ropes, to their legs, to their arms, to with my teeth. Just to stay in the match, and when you see those kind of spots, you don't see those spot, these kind of spots in these rumbles these days, and I don't I don't understand why. It's 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 amazing storytelling when you see a guy trying to survive for his life in the Royal Rumble matchup.
1: Well, suppose I'll go I'll go with the flow. Go I'll go your way. Suppose we try to apply logic and consistency the way you like it so much. He wasn't. In- three previous rumbles in one of those at 1990 he was the runner-up yep and he failed so i believe that frustrates him even more this year to be eliminated
0: i completely agree i completely agree Uh, all right moving on Uh, so afterwards the undertaker walks into the royal rumble during that time also, wait, yeah, the Berserker's already in. Undertaker comes into the Royal Rumble. The Berserker takes Bob Backlund to the outside. Through the ropes, they're both not eliminated. And he attacks him in the outside with a chair. You know, because... You, uh,
1: but... you missed Virgil's elimination. Virgil is... Uh, I, it's, it's, it's tough to, to notice. But right. somewhere, somewhere uh, where, where the pileup on uh, Perfect happened, Berserker big booted into the outside. No one cares.
0: Apparently, I didn't either, because I didn't even read it (laughs) in my notes. So, yeah, Virgil's eliminated, I guess. And so, like I said, Berserker attacks Bob Blackburn on the outside with a chair. So, yeah, you allow that outside the ring, fine. Consistency. (laughs) Uh, Afterwards, The Undertaker goes to town. He eliminates Samu. He eliminates Tinru. And then Terry Taylor walks in. Terry Taylor walks out, because he and Coco Beware fight amongst each other, and then they get both eliminated by... The uh, Berserker? No, by Ted DiBiase. By Ted DiBiase. He eliminates both of them. Afterwards, Ted DiBiase is eliminated by The Undertaker. And while he is eliminated, The Undertaker fights against Berserker. Becklin's still on the outside, by the way. When all of a sudden, this humongous seven feet tall, gigantic man walks into the ring. Nobody has any idea who he is. Nobody knows what what Harvey Wibbley does with with the guy. He stands right next beside him. Looks like a midget. And this guy is enormous, Over He's seven, blocking the sun. He's blocking, literally blocking the sun, <laughs> in an indoor arena. He walks into the ring facing the Undertaker. The crowd is in awe and shock. He doesn't even understand, comprehend what exactly goes what goes on in the ring. Take your stand next to this giant. He is a foot shorter, and we don't even get the name of the guy. The guy we 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 come to learn to his name is Giant Gonzalez. And Harvey Whippleman brought him into the World Wrestling Federation as retaliation or revenge for Undertaker burying Kamala in the previous pay-per-view. And, yeah, Giant Gonzalez dominates The Undertaker, eliminates him from the Royal Rumble, even mm-hmm. though he's not an official entry. No, and, yeah, and then he, he keeps attacking Taker near the ring post with his leg, and then he walks off.
1: <laughs> because that is the kind of thing you do once you're a Ugandan giant is losing to this dead man all you gotta do is get the contract of elegante from wcw and get this this former
0: basketball player to the ring and put him in a Neanderthal suit and make him attack a dead man uh look we
1: we joke and kid but uh but the thing is uh, uh whoever reads Harvey Lupin's book, yes, there is a book. <laughs> and they can get an uh, a quite quite the um the review, shall we say, of what exact problems Elegante had. He couldn't tie his shoelaces. Wilton had to do it for him. And in his Because mat- of the suit. Oh, and in his, in his last days, um, Whipple had to uh, support him financially because uh, the uh, Argentinian uh, government just collapsed and he had to send him money for food and it was quite a sad story. I know not exactly the, um, the uh, shall we say, uh, current Kurt Angle, But still, he was, you know, he was a sight to behold, but he was atrocious in the ring.
0: I completely agree. Uh, He wasn't that good of a wrestler in the ring, but when you speak about that sight of seeing a guy towering over The Undertaker in the matchup, and then you're you're just in awe. You're just in shock as a kid. You are simply terrified and you can't even go to sleep because you're seeing this giant demolish The Undertaker in a way no one has demolished him. Till that point. Uh so yeah, Taker's eliminated, but he still hangs around in the ring a little bit until he recuperates and he was able to walk back to the backstage. In the meantime, uh Damian Demento, while all this going on, he was entering the Royal Rumble. Afterwards, while still this was going on, IRS was entering the Royal Rumble. So now we got Damian Demento, Bob Backlund, and IRS in the ring. They pummeled Bob Backlund. He was almost beat to death. When to the save comes Tatanka, the Native American. He enters the Royal Rumble, and then the name just keeps flying in. Sags of the Nasty Boys, Typhoon of Natural Disasters, Head Fatu, and then Earthquake comes into the Royal Rumble, and the first thing he does, attack his tag team partner Typhoon.
1: I'm going to give you a story right here. First of all, it should be pointed out, this is the, uh, how can I put it gently? the um, not so good half of this rumble. It is quite dreary. And um, where shall I begin the story? Okay, first of all, regarding Tatanka, rumor has it that he wasn't in the ring while Max Moon was in the ring because Paul Diamond, AKA Max Moon, had an affair with Chris Chavez's wife. Whoa! And in order to avoid some real blow up of uh, the uh, the Native American sending this science fiction dude all the way to the moon literally decided to avoid having both men in ring at the same time that's one. number two as for the uh, uh, the natural disaster explode, explode. Um, Several uh, several years or several months prior to his death, John Tenta aka Earthquake was very, very active in the the, uh, uh, WrestleCraft Forum. And he had a section of his own where you can ask him questions. And he explained uh, to the best of my memory that both men knew they were on their way out of the Federation. And they wanted to do something special and memorable. They knew they wouldn't have a blow off. So they decided on, I I hope at least, they they have notified the uh, Booker, Patterson, or whoever that it would be about their actions. But basically, that is the explanation.
0: So they just wanted to do a send off by by their own, doing something different, so they went at it? Yep. That is actually a memorable way to get sent off. Indeed. yeah. So, yeah, Earthwick and Typhoon going at it, and then Earthwick was able to eliminate Typhoon from the World Rumble matchup. Um, afterwards, we get the Caribbean sensation, the Caribbean legend, actually, Carlos Colon. The Caribbean Maybe, uh, youngster. The Caribbean youngster. How old was Carlos Colon when he entered the Rumble? Oh, my Lord. Pretty I much.
1: He 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 was, I believe, towards 50. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the Caribbean youngster towards yeah. his 50.
1: It's like a thousand years old, and, and Monsoon calls him a youngster. No is offense it? against Carlos
0: Colon. It was just the, the line is that the Gorilla Monsoon prey calls Carlos Colon this Caribbean youngster when he enters the Royal Rumble. And Carlos Colon is a lot of fame, but a youngster in that time, he wasn't. Nope. No, nope, the age. With all due respect, of course, not no, shame, no offense to the no, no, no. Cologne family. We don't want
1: any, any of the Colognes to visit us. And, uh... I actually
0: met Carlitos. actually a pretty nice guy, I have to say.
1: Yeah, but you didn't, you didn't as insult his father beforehand.
0: <laughs> so when Carlos Cologne enters the ring, Damian Demento is eliminated by Carlos Cologne with a dropkick, I believe. Was that a pretty drop? decent move. I think it was a standard backdrop. Could I'm be a standard sure. backdrop, I'm not pretty sure, but I'm, th- I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was eliminated. Uh, by Carlos Colon. Then, uh, El Matador, Tito Santana enters the fray. And what a quick word about Santana Santana well, had no gimmick, absolutely no gimmick until 1992. And then, I have, I want just, I just wonder who came up with the idea. I tell him, you know, something, Santana, you're Mexican, I believe, you're Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Let's give you a Spanish bullfighter gimmick and call you El Manador Tito Santana. Now, I love me. I love the gimmick. I loved the, the gimmick. Shall I, shall I
1: grant you with the story directly from Santana's book? Please. Okay. Thing is, Santana as you said was like gimmickless from uh, shall we say uh, about the uh, the the Strike Force breakup back in WrestleMania 5 and onwards into, let me see, late band. 91. Survivor Series 91 was the pay-per-view in which he debuted the uh, El Matador gimmick. Yeah. Now, between these two time periods, he actually, I believe, complained about the lack of gimmick, and whoever it was in creative said, uh, okay, we'll give you a uh, back to your tradition gimmick of, the, of a Spanish bullfighter, of a matador. He said, okay. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and inquiring about the gimmick change and then it was given to him. He had to, uh, to shoot the, uh, the promos for this, for this new gimmick and basically aside from the gimmick change he remained in the exact same position.
0: So yeah, that was El Matador, Tito Santana. I really love the gimmick, but I just couldn't comprehend how they came from nothing to a gimmick of an El Matador. But that's just me.
1: That, that's just the basic story. Like, <laughs> they did nothing aside from refreshing his gimmick. And after this specific refreshing, he probably preferred to remain gimmickless.
0: <laughs> I guess so. The rumble continues on. Uh trigger Fatou was eliminated by, by, by Bob Backlund. Uh, Afterwards, Rick Martell enters the Royal Rumble, immediately goes after Tito Santana. Um, And then we see Irwin I. Shoikster, IRS, eliminated when he comes charging in into Earthquake. Earthquake ducks, and Irwin I. Shoikster catapults himself over the top rope, and he is eliminated. The next man to enter is Yokozuna. Yokozuna had the... The privilege of uh, drawing number 27, which by now is, of course, the number that most winners of Rumble's past have won with this number. Uh, afterwards, after Yokozuna, I believe the other two will be Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's the second guy to win in the number 27 spot. Um, when he comes in, bodies are – starts flying out. Uh, Tatanka tries to charge him. He's eliminated. Carlos Colon tries to beat him. He's eliminated. Then we come to the big man match. We had Earthquake Typhoon. Now we have Earthquake and Yokozuna. They are going at it. And Earthquake is coming charging in. And then when he comes to charging once again, Yoko blocks him with an elbow, grabs him in a belly-to-belly, and basically belly-to-belly suplex him over the top rope, <laughs> which is completely amazing to me, how he was able to do that.
1: It is quite the creative elimination. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. It is... First of all, we, we should mention Yokozuna is, like, fresh off the boat here. He is... He is, he had his, his uh, Survivor Series 92 uh, debut versus, uh, versus Virgil. And that is basically... He, he's he got nothing to show for. No...
0: Um, nothing no of... No build-up, no momentum, no nothing. Just one win at Survivor Series.
1: A guy in a, in, a, in, in a sumo fighter gimmick while he's given this, despite being Samoan, it's, it's somewhat of a mess, but still, he is quite um, quite a threat.
0: He yeah, is quite a threat, and basically one of the odds on Ferry to win this because who could, who could throw him over the top rope? I mean, the guy's over 500 pounds at this point. Uh, the rumble continues on. As Earthquakes is eliminated by Yokozuna, Owen Hart makes his way to the ring. Then we come to the Repo Man. Now, explain to me, what exactly is the Repo Man? Because when you look at him, he looks like a thief. But he tells you that he's a man who repossesses stuff. Like, if you're late on your car payments or something like that, he will repossess your car. But why does a repossess guy dressed like a thief. How does that even work?
1: I cannot vouch for this gimmick. I can tell you this. He sneaks into the ring. <laughs> and while sneaking into the ring, of course, he tippy into the ring. And that of course means the others, the other wrestlers in the ring won't hear him. Doesn't matter that the buzzer hits. And everyone knows to look towards the entranceway. Who's coming in? Ah, oh, that's the guy that tippy in. That's probably no one special.
0: Yeah, so here's the thing. I loved the gimmick. I think Barry Darsa did a tremendous job with the Repo Man gimmick. I, I love this theme music. But I love the whole approach of Barry Darsa when he comes sneaking in to do a move. It was awesome. But the connection between a Repo Man and a Thief, It just doesn't make any sense. Like, the name doesn't make any sense, but it worked. It absolutely worked. (laughs) Non-existence. So, yeah, Repo Man comes in. Santana tries to recruit everyone in the ring to eliminate Yokozuna. And Yoko just beating him up one at a time, and he's able to get out of that situation. And then we come into number 30, and it is Macho Man Randy Savage at number 30. Uh, like we said, we had big, we didn't have a lot of big names in this Rumble matchup. And the last name to be in this matchup is actually the last number is Macho Man Randy Savage. And the first thing he does when he enters the ring, he tries to kill the Repo Man. <laughs> because they apparently they had a rivalry going on in 93 because Repo Man stole his hat.
1: Yeah, those were more simple times.
0: <laughs> a lot of simple times. You, your... you
1: ripped off someone's, um, uh, Equipment, someone's uh, ring apparel, and that sufficed in order <laughs> to settle a few between these two
0: people. Yeah, I mean, today it's like you have to kill someone to get a sweetheart going to defend, on.
1: This entire um, elimination streak of Yokozuna can be described as the UN. <laughs> he is eliminating every nationality out there,
0: every single <laughs> one. I completely agree. From Spanish to Native Americans to um, Caribbean and, and others along that. So, Ooh. all 30 participants are in the ring. Uh, like I said, Macho Man immediately attacks Repo Man. Uh, Tito Santana is eliminated by Yokozuna. Sags is eliminated by Owen Hart, who they were actually a, kind of a messed up because Sags was holding, I believe, Rick Martel. Rick Martel ducked. Owen Hart kicks Sags out of the ring. Afterwards, Owen Hart tried to charge Yokozuna. Yokozuna froze him uh, also out of the ring. Also, I think almost breaking his ankle. <laughs> yeah, very, process. very fearful spot. Yeah, very, very yeah. fearful spot. Uh, for, half- for reason, we
1: won't see Owen Hart again on a pay-per-view until the Survivor Series.
0: Yeah, because of that. No, actually, on pay-per-view not. But we did see him in action on, uh, or on SummerSlam, SummerSlam time when he faced Jerry oh. Lawrence in a one-on-one matchup. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: He loses, I believe, the... Uh, king of the ring versus the papa shango right?
0: yeah yeah he was in the king of the ring like the dark show against papa shango for the uswa the yep yeah. and we'll talk more about that when he reached that the pay-per-view of king of the ring later on uh so repo man eliminated by randy savage and we come to the final four backland rick martell yokozuna and randy Maso natural man savage uh rick martell this is probably the highest he has ever gotten in the royal rebel match because he was in the final five two years ago. So this is it, final four. Rick Martell tries to fight Backlund, and Backlund eliminates him. Now, when you look at that situation, Martell drew number 26, Backlund drew number two, and he's able to eliminate Martell. Kind of makes Martell look like a joke. No, 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 no. My friend, you are
1: once again trying to apply logic. That won't do, I'm afraid. By the way, it should be said, Backlund looks
0: wasted. Oh, yeah. Backlund, by that time, broke the longevity record in the Royal Rumble matchup. He was in there for, if I take Mr. Perfect's word for it, when he told us in the Rumble 96, one hour, one minute and 15 seconds for Bob Backlund. That's the time he said. It's pretty around that time. So he was in there for over an hour. He broke the record from last year from Ric Flair's record. And he is completely out of it. He's wasted. He's tired. But the crowd cheers for him like maniacs. He completely has the crowd support. Yokozuna at that time, he tries to fight him, but Beckham tries to fight him off. A drop kick. Yokozuna starts to uh, step back. Another drop kick. He leans toward the rope. And Backlund says, this is it. This is my shot. He comes charging in, and Yoko throws him over the top rope.
1: Just like he would do at the 1996 Rumble.
0: Exactly. Exactly the same way at the 96 Royal Rumble. Uh, a sad story about Backlund, but what a story. I mean, drawing yeah. number two and going almost all the way into the final three people in the ring and lasting over an hour in a match. For a guy that yeah. making, making, makes his comeback to the WWF, this is this is awesome. But what's he got to show for it? At Absolutely the, uh, nothing. At, at next
1: WrestleMania, he gets a nothing match with Scott Hall. Why? Uh, i I don't, I
0: don't really get it because it's about the new generation gordon it's about the new generation and beckley has to be humbled <laughs> who cares if he was an hour one minute and 15 seconds in the rumble he needs to lose at wrestlemania but we'll talk about that uh when we get to wrestlemania 9 so we're, we're down to two randy macho man savage and yokozuna and if you think for a second that savage will be able to Take that 500 pound monster of a Simone of a sumo machine over the top rope, they're absolutely out of your mind because, yeah, Yokozuna demolishes him. He demolishes Randy Savage, he squashes him like a million times, leg drops him in his face. And then the ending came when Savage makes his triumphant comeback. He does a clothesline, he does that, that double X handle off the top rope. Yoko goes down, he, he, he lies on the mat and. Maybe the strangest elimination in Rumble history. Savage climbs the top rope. He lands his and signature elbow drop on Yokozuna. He tries to pin him in a Rumble match. Yokozuna kicks out, and from that velocity of a kickout, Savage is thrown over the top rope and onto the floor. Yokozuna wins the Royal Rumble. What the hell was that? I suppose you're looking for an explanation. (laughs) You this is, forget, you'll get none. Listen, this is Savage's fourth Royal Rumble match. Last year, he forgot the rules when he jumped over the top rope to attack his then-nemesis rival, Jake the Snake Roberts, but was allowed to come back in the ring because he eliminated himself. And you cannot eliminate yourself, something that people actually forgot down the road.
1: Knowing what we know about Savage today, how surprised are we?
0: Not really, man. (laughs) Not really. So, yeah. He's really Savage. He is
1: a dynamic personality. And he sometimes forgets what it's all about. (laughs) So, there you go.
0: Yeah, the enthusiasm got the better of him. He tried to pin Yokozuna. Yokozuna kicked him completely out of the ring. And, yeah, Yokozuna, in his second pay-per-view in the Wrestling Federation, um, is – Basically, he started his career in the WWF about three months ago, and he's already challenging for the WWF Championship at WrestleMania Nine. An incredible feat, an incredible accomplishment, and a signature by the company that says, we are building this monster all the way till the end. We're, pu- we're putting a rocket to him. Maybe a couple of rockets, you know, he has 500 pounds. But a couple of rockets to him and tied him straight to the moon. He's going to WrestleMania. What do you think about the winner of the Royal Rumble and the Royal Rumble match itself?
1: This is quite complicated because I love the Rumble, mostly uh, based on Beckman's performance. Rumble itself was, uh, shall we say, not bad. The matches were very, very, shall we, how can I put this, average at best. Shall we rate this?
0: Yeah, uh, according to our uh, closed line racing channel rules, every event will be graded one till ten, and there even is a zero if the show was a complete catastrophe. Um, Gordon, I'll give you the first uh, the the first privilege. Grade this event one till ten, and there's even a zero if the show was a complete catastrophe. What is your grade for this event? Since I've mentioned
1: what I think about the rumble, I should concentrate on the other matches these matches again they weren't bad they had something going just not in um, not, not in fourth gear let's put it this way so i'll place it in uh, six and a
0: half all right very well so here's my pretty much review of the Rumble itself. It was a decent Rumble. It was an okay. The matches were okay. Nothing that I'll probably remember until maybe tomorrow. Uh, As for the Rumble match itself, uh, it felt a little bit disappointing because I'm a huge fan of the Rumble. Like, Gordon, this is my favorite event of the year. And when you look at the Rumble, uh, you look for big names to enter in. And when the prestige of fighting for the WWF Championship is on the line for the first time, you would think that the Federation would try to procure even bigger names for this matchup because of the amount of uh, of the opportunity that, that it presents before it uh, with, for the winner of this matchup. And all you got as for big names are The Undertaker, Ric Flair, Randy Savage. That's it. Three big names. Maybe you can add Perfect because of his major rivalry with uh, Ric Flair, but still three big names. And that's it. Pretty much all the all the other wrestlers in the match were in the match, except for Yokozuna, which they build up tremendously in this match. Were just mid carters and low cutters and tag teams, which diminishes this, diminishes uh, the importance of the Royal Rumble matchup. When it, even especially when they have a title opportunity on the line. Could you see Backlund as the dark horse? If they were planning to do something with Backlund, then. Yokozuna could not have been in this Rumble because I can. For the first time I see Yokozuna in this matchup, I can't see anyone getting him out of that ring. Anyone. I mean, maybe Earthquake, but that guy couldn't get the job done. So who who could? Who could? I mean, seriously. Maybe The Undertaker, but he was eliminated earlier on. So you could have done the story with Backlund, but because no one really remembered who Backlund was in that time... I think it would be a pretty hard sell. So I go with the eventual winner, Yokozuna. I think it was a good choice. But Mm -hmm. the the entire participants in the matchup were a little bit disappointing. My grade for this Rumble, a 6 out of 10. I think it was a decent Rumble. I think it was an average Rumble. A little bit more than average, I could say. But not one of the best Rumbles that I can remember. Okay, I got you. And that was pretty much it. This is our first Clothesline Retro Review of Royal Rumble 19.93. And as we said, we are going to review the entirety of wrestling events from now until uh, (laughs) probably the end of time. And we continue with WrestleMania 9, the first pay-per-view to air on Israeli television. And we'll give you our own perspective and our point of view as Israeli fans as we give our own review to WrestleMania 9. Gordon, can we say we can expect a good event or not?
1: I can say we can expect the, how should I put it, quite the event.
0: (laughs) I have to agree with those words. So, uh, once again, thank you for watching. We're hoping you enjoyed this review. And also, if you, we would like to hear your comments about what you think about World Rumble 93. What did you think about this podcast? We would love to hear your comments down below. And also, if you want to stay notified when we're uploading these videos, Hit a like, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification button. And we'll see you next time on our next Clothesline Retro Review.